Well, thank you, Jeff, and thanks to the team here at Leroy for so graciously hosting me. And uh, it is Pastor Appreciation Month, and it's not often that uh, I get a chance to be in somebody else's pulpit. But I, I do hope that you know what a treasure you have in Jeff and in Angie and uh, their family. And uh, he's eminently kind and wise. And uh, I'm so thankful to be able to talk about friendship this morning and also to, to count him as such a dear friend. Well, let's, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we pray that we would be doers of the word and not only hearers also. Lord, I pray that as we talk about uh, this, this teaching on friendship, Lord, would, would you help those of us here this morning who, who need encouragement for the journey to persevere and to pursue, uh, perhaps in friendships that just find themselves in a particularly hard spot or a difficult season. Well, Lord, I pray for for those here this morning, and undoubtedly there are some who, who are lonely, uh, who feel isolated, who feel uh, distant, not only from one another, but even uh, perhaps from you. Oh, Lord, would you in your kindness, oh, Lord, through the presence of friends as they incarnate your presence, would you, would you help others move towards them and share those burdens and increase the joys that are available to them? Oh, Lord, in all these things we ask for your help in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we have an opportunity to take a little bit of a break from what I understand to be your study in the book of Exodus and to talk about a topic that is of essential importance, to talk about uh, this, this relationship that we call friendship. A friendship is one of the most important relationships that we have, but I would say, and I'm sure you would agree, that in many ways it has fallen on difficult times of late. Uh, for many people uh, in the church in particular, friendship is one of those relationships that perhaps they come to on a Sunday or in a midweek service. They see other people having them, other people having friendships and meaningful conversations, but perhaps you come in and out and deep inside you, you feel that pang of isolation and loneliness Friendship has not always been a relationship that has been on such difficult times. In fact, marriage, a relationship that by many is held in high esteem in the church, was not always the relationship that it is for us today. Uh, friendship, actually, out of the two relationships, or marriage rather, was the relationship that was more utilitarian, more done out of economic need and political purposes. It was really friendship that was the relationship that was most associated with love and affection. That being said, though, many of us today find ourselves increasingly isolated, more distance, and particularly during this season of COVID, we find that isolation somewhat staggering. Study after study confirms what many of us are seeing in our homes, uh, what we're seeing in our neighborhoods, and what we're perhaps even seeing here in our own church. And that is the fact that we're facing an epidemic of loneliness a 2018 report by the Henry J. Kaiser Family Foundation found that 22% of all adults in the U.S., that's, that's just a percentage, but if we put it into numbers, that's 55 million people here in the U.S. find themselves socially isolated and without friends. In a recent survey, one in four people stated that they had not spoken with someone about something of importance in the past six months. Right? Many of you probably had conversations, you probably had discussions with people, 
but one in four people haven't had a discussion that perhaps moves past the border of just the underbrush of life in at least six months. Alan McGinnis, the author of The Friendship Factor, estimates that only 10% of men have a real friend that they speak of. When we look at friendship, it's more often associated with children or with women, and in fact, men oftentimes struggle to form good and deep friendships, and McGinnis attests to that. The health risk alone to friendlessness and to isolation are becoming more and more discussed. USA Today tells us that people with no friends increase their chances of dying early by 14%. The Huffington Post recently said that having few friends or no friends at all is the equivalent health risk of smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. A 2013 study in the United Kingdom study showed that one in five visits to a primary care physician was primarily driven and caused by loneliness meaning you're not coming into the hospital because you have a broken bone or because of a particular pathology, but because it's more rooted in loneliness and isolation. Stuart Miller, a sociologist, has studied that one of the other difficult trends about friends is that the older that we get, right, the older that we get and the more that we move out of stages of life which are perhaps more conducive to friendship, the older we get, the more accustomed and the comfortable we get with our essential friendlessness. For the sake of time, we could mention many more statistics and studies that are being done, but suffice it to say that I would say we are experiencing a crisis of friendship today, both in our culture, but also in the church. But that being said, I'm not really surprised, right, that that we're here. I'm not surprised that friendship as a relationship is on the decline. And as a culture and as a church, I think that the reason why perhaps we have lost out on this particular relationship is because in many ways we have forgotten what friendship is all about. And so in the balance of the time that we have, I want to, I want to do a little bit of an exercise with you. I want to lay a little bit of a foundation for you as it relates to friendship from God's Word. I want to build a little bit of a structure around that foundation And then towards the end and towards the balance of our time, I want us to actually move into that home and actually actually practice what does it look like to do friendship together. Here's here's the first foundation point, and there will be three, and if you uh, desire, you can track along with us. But here's the the first foundation point that we have to know about friendship, is that friendships help us draw near to God because God is the very origin of friendship itself. Let me say that again. Friendships help us to draw near to God because God himself is the very origin of friendship. When we think about drawing close to the Lord or when we think about friendship, what I I want us to understand is that both of these topics of both drawing near to God and drawing close to one another and friends is inextricably linked. In Genesis 126, if you have your Bible, you can turn over there with me to a quite familiar passage, one perhaps that many of you have already committed to heart but we'll read it just for sake of hearing it and to be reminded. The author of Genesis writes this in verses 1, 26 through 27. It says, God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and then the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. God himself 
creates both Adam and Eve, and by extension, all of us in his image. And friends, part of that image and part of what it means to be created in the image of God is that we have both the capacity and the ability to be in relationship with other human beings who are also created in God's image. As God himself exists in community and friendship amongst the other members of the Trinity, that capacity and that ability then gets passed on to us as image bearers of the living God. Pastor and author J.D. Greer writes this. He says, every other relationship that you and I experience had a genesis. Marriage was created. The parent-child relationship was created. Work relationships were created. But friendship was never created. It's part of the very eternal nature of God. Ponder that until your brain hurts, that there has never been a time when there has not been friendship. Right, when we think about the eternality of the Trinity, right, when we think about their relationship, I think a lot of times we think about it from somewhat of a, from a static viewpoint, right, that it's something that's, that's quite esoteric, something that's quite difficult to understand, but Scripture actually gives us a bit of a view into this relationship, this eternal friendship that the Trinity has enjoyed since the beginning of time. In Proverbs 8, Verse 30, we see Jesus as the master craftsman delighting in the love of the Father. In John 17, 24, we see God the Father loving Jesus Christ in relationship before the foundation of the world. Passage after passage in Scripture, we see that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, before the world was ever created, enjoyed a unique and abiding and an intimate friendship. This makes perfect sense then as we move forward. And again, if you have your Bibles, you can just probably flip a page over to Genesis 2.18. Because in Genesis 2.18, we are told that the Lord God says to Adam, it's not good that man should be what? It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, Probably for many of us, because we're so enculturated to marriage culture in the church, we immediately probably jump to the fact that, that he's talking about what? That he's perhaps talking about Eve as a marriage partner for Adam. But friends, that's, that's actually not, I don't think, what the author is seeking to convey. Again, J.D. Greer is helpful here. He says this. He says, quote, Adam wasn't lonely because he was imperfect. Adam was actually lonely because he was perfect. Every other problem in our lives arises out of our sin and out of our imperfections. But loneliness is the one problem that we have because we are made in God's image. So if you're content being a loner, if you're content not having friends at all, congratulations, you aren't very much like God. Right? What the author of Genesis here is trying to convey here in Genesis chapter 2 is not that man needs a marriage partner, a domestic relations expert to, to help him around the home and to equitably divide the division of duties in the garden. No, marriage is not the relationship that God has an eye here towards, right? Otherwise, how can Jesus Christ be our perfect image bearer as a single person? No, instead, the creation of Eve primarily is about the fact that you were made for relationship. You were made for friendship, right? As, as Adam goes out into the garden on that sixth day and says he is naming animal after animal, searching for a suitable helper with whom he can fully image a God who himself exists in relationship, he finds no one. 
And so God in his kindness and in his love and in his mercy provides a helper, right? A helper is someone who, who helps. And even that way becomes a helper for Adam, not primarily as a spouse, but as another human being with whom Adam can fully image God. And that brings us then to our second, our second foundation point, and it is this, that friendship with one another, friendship with other people is the most basic but also the most profound way that we image God. Friendship with other people, friendship with the people who are sitting in proximity to you this morning, that one of the most basic ways and one of the most profound ways that you can ever image God is by being in friendship and relationship with them. In fact, that is what you were made for as human beings. To engage in friendship then as God designed it to engage in friendship as God created it is to bring glory to God because we are doing what he designed and created us for. And perhaps in many ways, what that does for some of you this morning is it lifts friendships merely out of a sociological realm, right? Not just, hey, I need friends because I don't want to be lonely. I need friends because I need some help when I, when I move, or I need friends to help babysit my kids, or I need friends to, to gather along with at the holidays, right? Not, not merely the sociological benefit, right, are we talking about as it relates to friendship. But friends, what we're talking about this morning is actually, are you willing to image God and to glorify God in the most basic and in the most profound ways by actually entering into the lives of other people, to love them and to be in friendship with them. Well, we all know how this story goes after Genesis 2, as you're good, sensible students of Scripture. We know that friendship was created by God, but we also realize that that, that friendship has gone bad. The second part of the story is familiar to us because in there lies the fact in Genesis 3 that we realize that that friendship that Adam and Eve so enjoy together and the friendship that they enjoy with God is broken because of sin. Through Adam and Eve's sin, we now experience broken friendship with one another. We experience a broken relationship with our own selves. We experience a broken relationship with creation. And most importantly, we experience a broken relationship with God himself. The ability to draw near to God then no longer looks the same as it did in the fall. In fact, in Genesis 3, right, you get a little bit of a sneak peek of it where the author talks about how, how God comes to them, right? He's walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and he's looking for them. And we can't pick up on it so much in our translation, but that walking in the garden is actually a Hebrew metaphor for friendship, right? It's this idea that every single day up until now that, that God the Father could come and walk in perfect friendship and relationship with Adam and Eve. But at the advent of sin, that relationship is fundamentally broken. Where the very first thing that Adam and Eve do is they, they what? They, they hide, they isolate, they move away from others. This trickles down then centuries later to how you and I do friendship in a fallen world. I think of all of us were at least somewhat honest with ourselves this morning, we would probably admit that, that friendships, maybe even more so than marriage, it's probably one of the most difficult relationships in our life. Right? Friendships are incredibly difficult. Think about all the different ways that sin and suffering has affected your friendships today. Think about a time when a friend has betrayed you, has broken trust, perhaps a friend that you knew, a friend that you've even broken bread with, or a friend that was close, right? Many of you have probably experienced that, that brokenness. 
the loss of trust, a friend who's abused you, a friend who's used you, a friend who's manipulated you, a friend who simply has faded away from your life, who's, who's canceled you or ghosted you or simply doesn't return your calls. Right? We realize that, that friendship is a difficult relationship, right? that although it's a way that we image a triune God, that, that that imaging comes with challenges and it comes with profound difficulties, that if we're not willing to actually look for an answer in a way moving forward, we can actually probably become quite discouraged with friendship altogether. That takes us into the third part of the story where we see then that God doesn't just leave us with this mess, but he himself actually redeems friendship for us. What makes friendship good again? What actually mends that friendship back together? If you have your Bible with me, just turn over to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, again, a a passage of scripture I'm confident you're familiar with. What I love about John 15 is this this message, this word from Christ himself, it comes in the midst of a, a longer, deeper, unhurried conversation, right? It's in this upper room discourse as Jesus is He's in friendship with his disciples that he's built relationship with. Listen to what he tells the disciples in John 15, verse 12. Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, than someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. That first phrase, I just want to draw your eye to, where it says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you, right? That, that word as there is so important, right? Jesus doesn't say, hey, this is my commandment that you kind of love other people like I love you, right? Like a cheap approximation or a cheap imitation or substitute, right? The, the, the very ethos of Christ's love for us, we realize, is embedded in this verse. The greater love has no one than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. So the greatest ethic of, of love is what? It is self-sacrificial in nature. Jesus says, you want to know what makes friendship good again? You want to know what redeems friendship? It is the self-sacrificial love of Christ himself. And the benefit and the privilege for all of us here today is not that we get to enter into a cheap approximation of this, that, that, that all of us, if we want to do friends, we can kind of love other people like Christ loved us. No, the call in us, brothers and sisters, is that we love others exactly as Christ has loved us. Friends, that's the only way that, that friendship is made good again. In any conversation or discussion then about drawing near to God, has to wrestle with and grapple with this reality. Friendships, as they are demonstrated and described in Scripture, must have Jesus Christ at the center of them in order for us to draw near to God. The only thing that that is going to repair and to address our deep need for redemption, right? It's not through our own works. It's not through our own good deeds. It's not through religiosity. It is only through the friendship of Jesus Christ himself who lays down his life on our behalf. Friends, that's what distinguishes biblical friendship from the other types and kinds which we see in culture are so common. Friendships in culture and in our own time, they get get situated on so many things. A shared stage of life, common interest, shared hobbies, loose associations over a social media platform, 
friendships which are only used for personal gain. But that brings us then to our third and our final foundation point. Right, not only do friendships help us draw near to God because God is the origin of friendship itself, not only do friendships offer us the most basic way to glorify and image God, but number three, friendships that help us draw near to God must be centered on Jesus Christ. Friendships that help us draw near to God, not just primarily draw near to each other, but friendships that help us draw near to God, friends, are friendships which are centered on pursuing Christ. You see, that's why our friendships don't get situated around shared political views. That's why our friendships don't get shared around shared views on race or climate or COVID or schooling options or modes of worship or personal preferences. The only thing that will truly last and serve as the most robust foundation for your friendships is if they are centered on Jesus Christ. All read of Rivloa, a well-known Cistercian monk wrote this about friendship centuries ago. He says, in friendship are joined honor and charm, truth and joy, sweetness and goodwill, affection and action. All these take their beginning from Christ, they advance through Christ, and they are perfected in Christ. Augustine, the great fourth century church father, writes this in Confessions. He says this, quote, there can be no true friendship unless those who cling to each other are welded together by God in that love which is spread throughout our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given to us. Friends, could I challenge some of you together this morning? For some of you this morning, perhaps what this season, both electorally and as it relates to our health crisis, may be one of the reasons why your friendships are perhaps so strained and you find yourself more isolated is because your friendships are not centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. If your friendships, friends, are centered on Jesus Christ, he is immovable, he is immutable, he is never changing. And so, friends, when we think about our friendships, perhaps this morning, part of what the Spirit might speak to us this morning is a conviction that, no, I, I have allowed my friendships to drift more towards earthly substitutes and earthly centers of gravity that so quickly change. Friends, those of you who want to draw near to the Lord will never go wrong by centering and grounding your relationships on Jesus Christ. So that's a little bit of a foundation that we have, right? We're, we're building the house and we're eager to move into it, right? That's the, that's the foundation. I wanna give you three practical ways then that friendship actually does the work that we've just described. Here's the first thing that friendship does. Friendships help us draw near to God by making his presence physical, tangible, and concrete. Friendships help us draw near to God by making his presence physical, tangible, and concrete. Well, what do we, what do we mean by that? One of the most basic ways that friendships help us draw near to God is that we are able to incarnate, that word incarnate is from the Latin of incarnus, that we literally enflesh, right? We actually enflesh the presence of God to other people. And in so many ways, as we do in our friendships, we follow the lead from Christ himself. In John 1.14, the apostle writes this, that the word became what? The word becomes flesh and he dwells among us. We observed his glory. The glory is the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. I love how J.B. Phillips in his paraphrase puts it. He says this, quote, the word of God became a human being 
and he lived among us, and we saw his splendor full of grace and truth. Literally, Jesus, he comes and he tabernacles with us, and as you all move ahead into the book of Exodus, the tabernacle, of course, will be a featured theme in your studies. You see, friends, one can see then how radically different this is from how the world does friendship. We live in a culture and we live in a community that is moving away from physical presence, not towards it. COVID has had awful effects on all of it, but one of the most damaging has to be the physical distancing that has occurred because of it. Right? That's not what we're designed. It's not what we are made for. We were, we were made for face-to-face interaction engagement as human beings. That's why solitary confinement is a form of punishment for people in prison, because it's, it's a way that actually detracts and, and dehumanizes us, not humanize us and allow us to fulfill our calling. American novelist Jonathan Foer has a little bit of an extended explanation about this need to make physical our presence with other people. I'll, I'll read parts of the quote and then just try to make some analog comments along the way. Foer writes this, he says, most of our communication technologies originally began as diminished substitutes for impossible activities. We couldn't always see each other face to face, so the telephone made it possible to keep in touch at a distance. Right, so Fowler saying, hey, way back in the day, Alexander Graham Bell, right, we, we needed something. We needed something outside of physical presence that would enable us to keep in touch when we couldn't do it, right? We, we need to be able to call someone from Maine or Georgia and be able to do that as instantaneously as possible. So we have, we have the telephone, right? And, and Fowler goes on, he talks about telephone, he talks about voicemail, he talks about email and texting, about how all of these different things, right, were intended not to replace in-person human interaction, but they were supposed to be aids, right? They're supposed to be helpful substitutes for us to make that communication a little bit easier. But, but Fowler notes this at the end of his quote. He says this. He says, each step forward, quote unquote, each step forward in technology has made it easier to avoid the emotional work of being present to convey information rather than humanity. The problem with accepting and now with preferring diminished substitutes is that over time, we too become diminished substitutes. Right, what Fowler is saying here is he's saying, listen, there's nothing wrong with the telephone, right? There's nothing wrong with texting. There's nothing wrong with having a social media account. But if you don't keep it in its proper place, if you don't rightly orient it as what it is, a tool and not an actual replacement for embodied friendship, right? That over time, if you lose out on that relationship for what it should be, right? Over time, you yourself are gonna become a diminished substitute yourself. Right? One of the blessings of friendship, one of the blessings of friendship as scripture defines it is that we actually realize that there is a ministry that we bring through our physical presence to one another. Right? I, I realize that there are stipulations on how we gather, when we gather, how many people gather, but it would be unfortunate for all of us if we lost out during this time the church's missional testimony to be able to be a physical, emotional presence for one another during this season of difficulty. Number two. A second principle that helps us build out this framework of the house. Not only do friendships help us draw near to God by making his presence physical, tangible, and concrete, but here's another important aspect of friendship. 
is that friendships give us the widest context for our most significant work. Friendships give us our most significant work, give us the widest context, rather, for our most significant work. Turn over in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Again, a familiar passage for us. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 through 16. I won't belabor it for you, but you probably already know the flow of Ephesians 4. At the beginning, he's talking to us individually. He's saying, hey, fulfill your calling. In the middle part of the passage, he says to to the church in Ephesus, but listen, as you fulfill your calling, God's given the church special gifts, pastors, teachers, apostles, evangelists, to help build the body of Christ up. But in verses 15 through 16, Paul says, but listen, right? Those special gifts aren't meant to replace the work that every other single member of the body has to do, right? Paul writes this in verse 15. He says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see, friends, friendship is the relationship that thrives off of reciprocity and mutuality. Friendship is different than every other relationship that you have in your life. It's different than, say, a counselor and a client. It's different than a mentor or a mentee or a disciple or a disciple or a boss or an employee or a husband or a wife or a parent to a child because friendship, right, is the one relationship where there is zero implied hierarchy. Right, that, that, that friendship is the one relationship where people enter into it as brothers and sisters, as equals. And that way we might say that, that friendship, out of all the relationships that we have at the church, is the most democratic of all of our relationships. It is the most accessible. Friends speak truth in love to one another, and that speaking of truth, right, that, that conversational dynamic that we engage in, in turn, aids the body of Christ, both through edification and through equipping. Again, I think that we've probably lost out on this aspect of friendships because so much of our communication is either surface level or it's technologically mediated. But friends, when you come in here on a Sunday morning or when you bump up into one another uh, in the midweek as you're shopping for groceries or you're sharing experiences with your children, that there is actually something so holy about the way that you are to speak and to interact with one another that Paul says when we do this work, when we speak truth and love to one another, it's not merely the conveying of information, but we literally build up the body of Christ. Does that, does that stir your heart together today, this morning? Does it animate and perhaps, and I hope, Does it raise the stakes then for your interactions together this morning? Right, there's there's nothing blasé or nothing mundane then about asking a friend, how are you doing? There's nothing simplistic about checking in on a friend to see how they're doing with burdens, requests, and needs, and troubles. That every time you have opportunity to move towards another person, right? Every time you have opportunity to to speak out loud words of grace and words of mercy, you literally build up the body of Christ. 
Proverbs 27 gives us so many rich teachings about friendship in particular and about our communication. I'll just recount a few of them for our benefit together today. In Proverbs 27, verses 5 through 6, the author writes this, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a what? Of a friend. And profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Maybe some of your friends, right, who have never loved you in this way, perhaps are not real friends at all. Montaigne, the great French essayist, writes this. He says, those who venture to criticize us perform a remarkable act of friendship, for to undertake to wound and offend a man for his own good is actually to have a healthy love for him. Those who venture to criticize us perform a remarkable act of friendship. Right? That word criticize is obviously a laden term, and we have, to, we have to inform that word with all of what Scripture has to say about doing things with mercy and compassion and in a spirit of gentleness. But nonetheless, when was the last time you performed a remarkable act of friendship like that? More likely than not, most of you in here, myself included, you would prefer your friendships to be fun and friction-free, these, these therapeutic relationships of mutual validation where we only say good things to one another and never say anything hard. But friends, that's not the model that Scripture speaks to us. Later on in Proverbs 27, 17, we're told iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. Richard Baxter, the great Reformed pastor, in Reformed pastor, writes this. He says, We will take all things well from one that we know entirely loves us. We will put up with a blow that is given us in love sooner than with a foul word that is spoken to us in malice or in anger. If you be their best friends, help them against their worst enemies. Right again, as we've said earlier, this aspect of friendship, of both, of both speaking truth and love and receiving it, works works two things at the same time. If you're like me, you love a good deal, right? You love a buy one, get one. And that's exactly what speaking truth and love does. Speaking truth and love, this conversational aspect of friendship, it not only builds and strengthens the friendship itself, but it edifies and it encourages the body of Christ. Right? It brings a whole new meaning to your role in your work here as a member or as an attender of Leroy Community Chapel. Right, that every time one of you engages in conversation, a mutually edifying conversation, a, a remarkable act of friendship demonstrated through confrontation, you actually build up this church. What a privilege, uh, but also what a responsibility. And finally, a third, a third way that we can continue to build this house that we are moving into is this, is that friendships help us draw near to God when we bear burdens and we bring them to God together. Not only do we speak truth in love, but in many ways, maybe perhaps this is a derivative of that previous point, in that friendships help us draw near to God because no longer do we have to bear burdens by ourselves or endure suffering alone. When a friend is weak, what a joy there is for another friend to come and to help bear that burden, right? We, we know that, that friends who have weak faith oftentimes need us to come alongside them and to borrow faith from us. The power of prayer together as friends. Prayer with a friend. Prayer for a friend. Or perhaps even prayer about a friend. 
right? That this uh, mutual responsibility to draw together, to help bear burdens together with one another is, is something that all of us are called to, not just your elders and your pastors. Paul writes this in Galatians chapter 6. He says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. With all that being said then, by way of both a foundation and a structure, I just want to offer a few just simple ways that we can do this this morning in our closing time. How do we actually build friendship, right? We've tried to set a good foundation. We've tried to develop some theses as it relates to what that looks like in the body of Christ. Let's, let's get practical. How can you do this? Number one, pray for it. Pray for friendship in your life. We might be unduly discouraged or unduly encouraged if we did a bit of a survey and said this morning, how many of you are friendless? How many of you are lonely? How many of you find yourselves isolated either by choice or not by choice? And so perhaps one of the first things that we do to mitigate against that loneliness and isolation this morning is we pray. We go to God and we pray a simple prayer, Lord, bring me a friend. And perhaps there's a corresponding prayer then that also gets prayed alongside that of, Lord, not only bring me a friend, but Lord, help me to what? To be a friend. Maybe that's starting point number one. Number two, identify and name your experience with friendships in your life. Some of you this morning have been hurt by friendship. Right? Maybe you're a little bit gun-shy. Maybe you've been humiliated or embarrassed or let down. Maybe like the psalmist in Psalm 55, 12 through 14, there was someone who was as close to you as close could be, and they, they turned on you, right? That sense of betrayal. Naming that experience will help you to be able to move forward, not in paralysis, but in joy. To say, I am willing to take another step. I'm willing to trust again. Have you had disappointment and grief over friendship in your life? Have you lost a friend? Have you had an unrequited friend? If so, what did that look like? Name your experience and name the emotion. Number three, take small steps and have realistic expectations. Take small steps and have realistic expectations of how friendship develops. Aristotle famously said that the desire for friendship comes quickly, but friendship itself does not. Right? The desire for friendship comes quickly. Right? You, might, you might leave here today saying, listen, I really want to have a lot of friends. This is, this is great. Sign me up. But, but know this, that there is work associated. But friends, don't let the work of what it takes to build a friendship keep you from experiencing the worth of a friendship. Don't let the work of what it takes to build a friendship keep you from the worthiness of such a relationship. Take small steps. For some of you, it might be instead of texting, maybe making a phone call or coming over to a friend's house with, with a meal. Maybe it means sending a, sending a group text or a group email to, to put together a gathering or a small walk together. Maybe it means I, I show up in person to a friend that's grieving. Maybe it means offering to help bear a burden in a practical way. Take small steps. Number four, rejoice with others when they experience the benefits of godly friendship. Rejoice with others. Sometimes in, in, in the church, we can look at others with eyes of covetousness and jealousy. We can say, well, yeah, it's really nice you're talking about friendship, and 
You know, there are people here at Leroy who have friends. There's a lot of groups, but it's hard to get into them. It's hard to break into some of those cliques or those pre-existing friendships. I'll, I'll never make it, right? I'm always on the outside looking in. And friends, one of the ways that we can join together in relationship is that we can rejoice with others when they discover friendship. We can rejoice and rejoice with others when friendships are strengthened, when friends and friendships are mended and put together. Number five, commit this morning to deepening and lengthening your relationships and your friendships. And what I mean by that is this morning, make a commitment, right? What we prayed at the beginning to not just be a hearer of the word, but to be a doer also. What would, what would be incredibly disappointing would be if we leave here this morning and say, yeah, that, that sounds great. Friendship seems like a really nice relationship, but that's just not my personality. I'm more of an introvert. I don't, I don't really need friendship that much. Friends, as we've seen from the very beginning, friendship is not optional. Friendship is a relationship that you must engage with if you desire to bring glory to God in who you are. So make a commitment. Can I tell you two stories about friendship in Scripture which maybe give us a, a framework for what this commitment looks like? Think about what Ruth tells Naomi in Ruth chapter 1. Ruth says, don't urge me to leave you or to return from following you, because where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also if anything but death parts me from you. Right? That's not a Jane Austen novel, right? That's scripture itself. Right, Ruth and Naomi aren't your classic friendship. They're not both young moms with two kids who play soccer. They're not next door neighbors, right? This is, uh, this is a relationship of people from two completely different cultures to completely different ethnicities at two completely different stages of life. And yet because Ruth values relationship, because she begins to get a hint that the God that Naomi serves is the God that she wants to as well, she is willing to join herself. I'm not saying that you have to go to a friend today and speak these words, but would there be a way that you could paraphrase words like that to someone in your life? To say, I am with you until the very end. You know how meaningful that could be for someone here this morning? Someone who finds themselves alone or single or in a difficult relationship? Do you realize how life-giving and restorative it might be to have a friend come up to them and say, I will love you to the very end. I'm with you, and I'm for you. How about David and Jonathan? 1 Samuel 20, chapter 14 through 17, listen to what David says. He says, if I'm, or Jonathan says, if I'm still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. Don't ever cut off your steadfast love for my house. Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, may the Lord take vengeance on all of David's enemies, and Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Right? What type of commitment would that look like for you today? Some of you are afraid of commitment. It's part of your disposition. It's part of your personality. But with the help of Christ and with the power of Christ this morning, friends, would you make a commitment to deepening and lengthening your friendships? And all that we've talked about and all that we've focused on in terms of how friendships bring us closer to the Lord, I want to mention one final thing by way of conclusion. Right? We've mentioned a lot of the benefits of friendship 
that are maybe more self-referential or even more ecclesiastically driven, right? That friendships help ourselves, that friendships help us draw near to God, and that friendships help edify the body of Christ. But let me also offer to you this, that friendship is also missional. That friendship, when done right, is a powerful, missional, evangelistic witness to a world that is incredibly lonely, to a world that's craving real relationship. What a joy it would be if an unbelieving friend or neighbor said something to you like this, hey, there's something different about your friendships, those people that you go to church with. Your friends have really showed up for you during this season. I love how your friends have cared for you. Could, could you tell me about that? I've just, I've never seen anything like it. What a joy if some of the friendships that are both represented and embodied both by actuality and potentiality might actually draw people, not to this building per se, but to this body. That during this season, people might see the way that people here at Leroy Community Chapel do friendship and their hearts might be similarly stirred, not only to join in friendship with you, but to join in friendship with God. Karina Kreminski says this, she says, quote, our privilege of being friends with God is a model for our engagement with the world, and it is our witness so that others might practice friendship. Practicing friendship has often been relegated to the sphere of children, women, and the sentimental. However, it is something we can all try as a most subversive practice that will indeed change the world. As we make friends, we trust that our friend Jesus, who is a friend of sinners, that he is with us, that he is helping us in our participation with him on his mission to mend all things broken and decaying in our world. Friends, engaging in this most subversive act of friendship might be the greatest testimony that you have to an unbelieving world, to an unbelieving community, perhaps even an unbelieving family. And if all of us can be challenged this morning to engage, to deepen our commitment, to reclaim what our friendships should be rightly centered on, then I think in so many ways, truly friendship can save the world. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning. We thank you for your many blessings. Lord, we thank you for the blessing of friendship. As we just read, sometimes we can think about friendship and it's more of a sentimental relationship, a, a cute, quaint platitude of, yeah, it's nice to have friends. But Lord, as we have seen from Scripture, friendship is anything but simple or quaint or optional. Lord, being engaged in friendship and in relationship with you is the very thing you designed us for. Father, when we don't engage relationships around us, when we don't move towards others and center those relationships on Christ, we actually are not fully human. Lord, help us be fully human this morning. Help us to engage and to, to really live out the gospel, Lord, that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, into this world to save sinners by bringing them into friendship with you. Father, what a joy, but also what a responsibility. Would you give all of us grace for this task and for this journey? And we ask this humbly in Christ's name. Amen.